like you. How old are you? Uh, I'll be 24. It's very soon, or I probably just was 24. Depending, depending on, on the uh, depending when you how you are viewing this particular right, show right. at this moment. Does the onset of uh, these years mean anything to you? Uh, not really. Not really. <clears throat> uh, in one more year, I'll be able to rent a car without a whole lot of hassle. But you know, you do have you do have that look where I'm sure you get carded for your ID still. Just about everywhere. Yeah. Are you offended by that? No, I actually kind of kind of like it. You know, it's. Um, yeah, sometimes you feel like you just want to paste it on your forehead and walk through life with it. But other than that, no, it's kind of it's nice. It's better than better than uh, you know people getting, thinking I'm somebody's dad or something. Yeah, or getting hit with heavy rocks. I mean, right, right, yeah, yeah, right. than being dragged behind a snowplow. Now you have come out of this uh, enormous schedule of shooting Family Ties and shooting the new Steven Spielberg movie. Right. And you were doing them both at the same time. Right. I would do. Uh, Family Ties in the daytime, a driver would come and pick me up around 9 o'clock, and I'd work on Family Ties from about 10 to about 6, 6.30, and then a driver would come and pick me up and take me to uh, Universal, and I would work on uh, Back to the Future until about 2.30 in the morning. It was great. I, I lived. Now, how did this happen? Did, did uh, Spielberg uh, beg you to do the movie? and you? Yeah, on his knees, the yes. guy came to me, and I was crying. It was too terrible. I was saying, he said, Amy, the baby, and he needs me. And <laughs> so... No, uh -huh. I'm counting on you, Fox. Yeah, I said, please, you know, I need, I need the hit. I need a hit. Um, no, he, uh, he's a good friend of Gary Goldberg's who produces Family Ties, and apparently they came to Gary um, a long time ago and suggested uh, to Gary that he would let me do it. And he said, there's no way it would fit schedule-wise, and he's a very merciful man, so he didn't tell me that I was ever being considered for it because I would have broken my heart. And, uh, and then, I guess... Uh, it was like a Tuesday, and I went to see a taping of Sarah, which is Gary Goldberg's other show. And uh, he called me aside, and he put the script down in front of me, and he said, Steven Spielberg wants you to do this movie, and can you start on Monday, and I'll work it out so you can do both jobs. And, uh, and I said, yeah, great, good. I went home, he said, read it, and, you know, see if you like it. And I said, oh, Gary, I'm, you know, I'm going to hate it, I'm sure. So I went home, and I read it, and I called him up at about 2 in the morning and said, call Steven, don't let him change his mind, don't let him change his mind, because I want to do it. And it just happened. It was a matter of about five days, and I was on the set. How are you dealing with uh, the early word on this movie? The early word is spectacular. It must be kind scary. of frightening, yes. Yeah, it's really scary. It's, um, it's the same thing with Family Ties. You know, when, when we did the pilot for that, everyone was saying, oh, this is a hit. This is, mm. you know, and I just thought, shut up, shut up, don't, shut up, you know. Um, not that I, I ever said that to anybody. I don't say it to anybody who's talking about this movie. I mean, I think it's great that they're all excited, but... It is a little scary because um, they're only giving the, they're only giving us one option, and that is to win. And you know what? If you don't win, will you be the same guy? Yeah. Will you handle it well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I, I I kind of what I call a healthy paranoid a paranoia, and get and and um, so anyway. So I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I'm saying you know I get this movie and all this stuff because. Uh, I think I'd stop being creative, and I think I'd start being a jerk, and I don't think I could really live with it. Have you ever risked uh, becoming arrogant? I don't know. It's hard for me to say. It's hard to be objective. I know that I really try not to, or don't even really have to try. I think, you know, if I were to go home, that's always the best judge. If I was to go back to Canada and try and play any kind of trip about being a big Hollywood uh, star or whatever, I think I'd get a bop in the head and like a lawnmower in my hands, you know, like that. <laughs> be like, rake the leaves, and star. <laughs> it's
It's a film about time travel. The vehicle, a nuclear-powered DeLorean. It's a film about imagination. The mad scientist is Christopher Lloyd. And it's a film about destiny. How far are you going? About 30 years. Michael J. Fox stars as Marty McFly, the kind of hip high school senior who can't imagine life without MTV. When a sudden twist of technology sends him back to 1955, Marty not only wanders into a world without rock and roll, he bumps into the teenagers who will one day be his parents. But Marty has accidentally tampered with history and must somehow set things straight before getting back to the future. A pretty funny and thought-provoking premise, and if it at all sounds very Spielberg-esque, there's a good reason. He was always there um, if we ever got into trouble. Um, and that's, and uh, you can't have anyone better in that position, I don't think, than Steven Spielberg. As much as the movie has the Spielberg touch, it also has the Mechasis. I love working with Bob because he's possessed, you know? Like this movie, I mean, he, he must wake up in the morning, it's just like the movie, the movie. Back to the Future was originally scheduled to open late July. But when MCA president Sid Sheinberg saw the rough cut, he liked it so much he begs Zemeckis to rush it into theaters by next week. And while no one can accurately predict the future, many are predicting that Back to the Future has the makings of a summer sizzler. It's just got everything in it. Whoever sees it, I think most people are going to really have a good time and get their money's worth, which is just a wonderful thing, you know? It's like, I definitely got my five, fifty, or six bucks worth, you know? One, two, three! Marchy McFly, Marchy McFly, Marchy McFly is Marchy McFly, Marchy McFly is Marchy McFly.
For the 26th day in a row, I've watched Back to the Future, and for the 26th day in a row, I'm here to podcast about Back to the Future. Folks, I'm getting this one to you late tonight, and I have a feeling this one's going to be a lot shorter than the last couple ones, Um, but as you can tell from that opening, I know how to pad a podcast, you know? I wish that interview was a little longer, if you know what I mean. Um... I had some plans for stuff for stuff to do tonight, but real world gets in the way. Uh, so I just want to be here to say what's up. Uh, go over a few notes, and um, I think. Wait a second. Oh, I have a message. Oh, hold on. You have one new message. Main menu. Listen to your messages. Press one. Three. First new message received today. Hello. Hey, I'm looking for Macho McFly, uh, first time caller, long time listener, listening all month, just about sick of it, but whatever, I'll finish it up. Um, here's what, clock tower, thing gets struck precisely at 10.04 p.m. My problem is 10.04, right? 10.04 is 60 seconds long. How do we know when, during those 60 seconds, does that lightning strike, right? And if we don't know when, how are we supposed to know when Marty's supposed to drive and make contact with that line, right? Because as far as I can see, he's got this big hook contraption hooked up to the back of the DeLorean, right? Like a big hanger. Right? Wire hanger, like from the dry cleaners. Right? One of them. Still use it. Um, when he drives through, that thing makes the contact. It kind of gets pulled out of the car as he's going. Right? So the lightning shoots down into the car. The hanger, the rod, stays there on the wire. Right? So that means they've got absolutely, like, no room for error. Right? Zero. So how do they know if it's like 10.04 in 32 seconds? 10.04 in 21 seconds? How do we know? How do we know? We don't know the seconds. 60 seconds is a long time, especially if you're driving 88 miles per hour. Now, I'd like to see you bullshit your way out of this question. What a wonderful, wonderful voicemail. Uh, you didn't leave your name, but you sound familiar. Have you ever done a podcast before by any chance? I couldn't tell the area code, but um, interesting. Interesting voicemail. Interesting topic that the um, unnamed uh, voicemailer has um, brought up. And I've thought about this before. You know, what could... The um, how, how do they know the exact moment that the clock tower struck? And um, voicemailer asked if I could bullshit my way out of it, and y- you know I can. So I have a couple thoughts. Now, first of all, I actually searched on Twitter, can you tell if a clock tower, you know, the seconds that it has? Like, is there a, a, a some kind of mechanism that counts the 60 seconds like on a watch, like on a wristwatch when you have a second hand. You know, maybe the inner machinations of the machine 
So um, it actually brought me to a, a, a question asking this exact question, a website on the uh, Sci-Fi Stack Exchange. I feel like I, this, I've talked about this one, this place before. And um, someone said, you have to assume the clockwork perfectly. Yeah, but again, how do you know it exactly happened at 10.04 and 00 seconds like the voicemailer said? So this is what somebody uh, answered. Um, yeah, see, the, everyone's talking about the, the 1004 and the piece of paper, but that doesn't tell you exactly, exactly when. Even though it says precisely at 1004, the, the, the flyer wouldn't say precisely at 1004 p.m. But this, someone copied this from the, it says the fourth draft of the script, uh, the one that introduced the lightning strike, the clock had a second hand. So I am reading um, what this guy added. It says, it includes a photocopy of a newspaper article dated March 27th, 1955, with a picture. Oh, so it was March. It was March 27th? Oh, that's tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I was off by one day. If I only waited a day to do this voicemail. That's hilarious. March 27th, 1955, with a picture of the clock tower stopped at 10.02. The headline reads, the clock tower struck by lightning, clock stop at 10.02. Brown reads it, and he's getting an idea. And then it's, it has a, this paragraph that Doc says, Kid, if this is true, we just might be able to get your ass back to the future. It's totally insane, but it's certainly no crazier than building a nuclear reactor onto the back of a car. According to this, we know the exact moment lightning will strike a specific spot at 10.02 p.m. and 11 seconds on next Saturday. All you have to do is rig up a con conducting system that'll channel the lightning directly into the TFC. That's obviously short for the flux capacitor. As long as you're doing 88 miles per hour when it happens, see you later, alligator. So originally they said the exact second if this post, which I can't imagine it's incorrect. It might be the same PDF I downloaded. I haven't read through it yet. But um, that wasn't in the script. That wasn't, I shouldn't say that wasn't in the script. That wasn't in the movie. There was nothing mentioning uh, uh, seconds in the movie, but Doc still knew. So, um, oh, crap. I had a way to BS my out of it and it didn't make any sense. Why would it have made I was saying, well, Doc, you know, if he knows the machinations of the machine, he can go up and see the seconds. But that's in 1985. He would be able to see the exact moment. Um, so the clock tower lady climbed the clock tower in 1985 and saw that it was, you know, 10.04 p.m. And she wrote that in the flyer, uh, and she's been obsessed with it ever since. So by um, Doc, <laughs> this, um, like, part of the script clarifies it, but that's not in the movie, so that doesn't count. So I'd have to say it was luck. Now, I always wondered, what if the clock struck at 10.04 p.m. and, and um, right away the lightning struck, I should say, and, and Marty didn't get there until 10.04 and 5 seconds? Would there still be enough juice in the wire? Would the, would the wire be there to, um, like, uh, conduct? You know, like, would there still be enough energy stored in there? What I didn't realize, the voicemailer said, I don't think I ever noticed that the hook came out of the DeLorean and wasn't there and it stayed on the, on the wire. How did I, like, 
I've watched this 26 times and I in countless times before that and I either never noticed it or just didn't realize it. That is shame on me. Uh, that is a great question. Um, great question, caller. I wish um, I wish we could have talked about this the other night. I mean, if you are who I suspect you are. Uh, but that is really well put, and I don't have a great explanation for it, except um, the, the, the clock tower lady, she knew. She knew. I thought I had a way to BS my way out of it. The, the, a script version does have a, an, an exact thing. Um, unless I could get a look at the clock tower flyer, I don't think, you know, unless the clock tower, let's, let's read the clock tower flyer. I mean, we have time. Where are we going? Okay, so it says Hill Valley's landmark clock tower was struck by lightning during the weekend's freak electric storm. The lightning bolt fused the clock's internal mechanism and stopped the clock hands permanently, perhaps permanently, at 10.04 p.m. So it doesn't, if this is, you know, an exact replica of the image or the image itself, uh, it just says 10.04 p.m. and doesn't say zero seconds. So we just had to, um, we just had to trust in fate, right? There you go. Boom. I've solved the riddle. I don't, I, I didn't, but, um, yeah. Nope. Everywhere I'm looking, yeah, it's the same, it's the same wording as far as I can see. So, uh, Jay, I mean, caller, uh, yeah, you are correct. There is no way for it to be exact, but, um, it worked. So Doc was right. couple things I noticed that I haven't talked about yet um, is when Marty first goes into the, the diner, uh, Biff's car is already outside. So they're wandering around, you know, who knows what they're doing before they pop in and, uh, you know, uh, bully George. And then also when they do leave and then Goldie's talking about being the mayor, we never see George go out the front door. We never see the front door move. No movement. Though we don't see the right side of the front door. He might have snuck out that way. But it was very subtle, almost like he went out the back. Because his bike, he all of a sudden he had his bike going around. So he left in quite a hurry. He was thinking, I got to, you know, this is when this is when Lorraine changes her clothes. I need to get there. She's my density. And the last thing I want to mention is, you know, uh, Marty... You know, he didn't really cause 300 bucks damage to Biff. That was Biff's um, fault. Think about it. He was planning to ram um, the 17-year-old skateboarding boy into the manure truck. So there was bound to be some manure um, that would that would fall on his automobile. Marty, of course, ran through the car, which was just an, an excellent moment. And... Biff and the boys, you know, realized it at the last moment, and it was a little too late before all the manure spilled uh, all over them. But he did blame Marty for causing $300 worth of damage, 300 bucks damage to my car, and he was going to take it out of his ass. $300 um, to a 17-year-old is a lot of money in 2021. $300 to a 17-year-old in 1955 is ridiculous. Because I looked it up, and through the cumulative price change of 
the converted amount of $300 in 1955 would be $2,944.19 in today's money. Now, that is a price difference of $2,644.19 just to basically detail a car. I mean, maybe when it hit the truck, it caused a little damage, but it was mostly um, just the car was filled with shit. Um, and I know there's they touch a little bit more about the car in the sequel, but that's for next year. We're still here. We're still talking about the original, the greatest, Back to the Future. 36 years have passed. Can you believe it? It's crazy. That article, uh, that, that audio at the beginning was cool because it was like talking about the movie before it even come out. And it's like, hey, it, it looks like it's bound to be a good one. And the fact that they rushed it because they liked it so much. Um, really cool, really cool. And I think, yeah, that's it. I'm done. I, 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 I did what I came here to do. And that's talk about Back to the Future after watching Back to the Future. Uh, and, uh, J- I mean, voicemailer, um, you, uh, you had a good one there. You have a good one that's, that doesn't really have an answer, uh, except for the fact that it worked, so he was right. Boom. Nailed it. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Mentality. The website is fansonexperts.com. The Facebook page is fansonexperts. And, um, yeah, we're not on Hotmail, so that's all I got. Until tomorrow, my friends, here is my theme song. This is my podcast. I made it. Geek Mentality is what I named it. And I think you should listen and subscribe. Cause I'm kinda funny and awesome I think that I'm worth your time And I'm kinda handsome My mom says Please listen and Please subscribe At least listen to this episode Fans not experts What are you looking at, butthead?